Welcome to Untamed Intimacy, the show that helps you get to the core of what creates safety, love, connection, passion, and pleasure in your relationship. You'll learn how to resolve conflict, communicate authentically, and rekindle passion. So you can create untamed intimacy in your relationship. I'm Ani Manian. And I'm Lee Noto. We're the founders of Untamed Intimacy. And together, we serve couples all around the world to help them create the wildest love they have ever known. We believe that our relationships are the most powerful vehicles for growth, and our partners are our greatest teachers. If you're ready to create untamed intimacy in your relationship, then this is the podcast for you. And if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and do that. And you'll be notified as soon as we drop a juicy episode. And if you really love and receive value from this podcast, we'd like to ask two things. Please leave a five-star review and consider connecting with us on Instagram at untamed underscore intimacy. And take a screenshot of your favorite episodes and share them in your stories so others can find this content too. And if you'd like to be coached live on air or have any questions that you'd like answered on the show, visit us at untamedintimacylive.com. We can't wait to hear from you. Hey babes, welcome back. As you know, I have the one and only, my partner in life, love, and business here with me, Ani Manian. If you listened to the last episode, then you know that we talked about the story of how we met and all of the beautiful journeys that we went on along the way. And today you are in for as equal of a treat because we're going to go deep into who we were before this relationship and all of the defense mechanisms, all of the barriers that kept us from creating love the way that we've created love now. So if you are a woman who's listening to this and you are a badass, you're high achieving, and you've created success in your business, but you're wondering how to create that same kind of success in love, and you have found perhaps that you sometimes feel distant or have a wall up or you think, you know what? I can do it on my own. I've got this. Then I'm telling you, you're going to want to tune into this whole episode because this is exactly who I was. And I want to tell you all about these qualities and how I worked through these qualities so that I could open my heart to receiving this beautiful love. And the best part of this was I didn't have to lose any part of myself. I didn't have to lose how ambitious I was, how much of a go-getter I was, the kind of success that I'm creating. In fact, this love is only helping me create even more success in my life, in my business, in every area. So we're going to go deep into that today. Roll your sleeves up. We're going to get down and dirty, and I am so, so excited. All right. So as you know, it's sometimes hard to recognize that before we meet someone, they have led an entire life, an, an entire life before us, right? Before I met Ani, he had his own preferences, his life, who he was, as did I. And I can say that we certainly were not the people we are now back then. In fact, we're going to air a good part of our dirty laundry today by telling you about who we were, how we showed up in relationships, the things that kept us from creating the kind of love that we wanted. And why those defense mechanisms, why all of that protection was even coming up in the first place. So where it was coming from, because I'd venture a guess that 
the place that it was coming from within us, if you have any sort of defense mechanisms, it's probably coming from the same place within you. And we're going to get into that today. So babe, I want to turn the mic over to you. People know you now as this incredible man who does work with leaders and entrepreneurs who talks often about how the mind works, how we create our own reality, how we show up in relationships with an open heart, but that's not always who you were, right? So who were you before this relationship? How did you show up in relationships and love and sex? Yeah, it's, you know, interesting to even consider the question because you and I have been on basically a transformational journey pretty much every day um, in this, in this relationship. But even before that, um, since I turned towards this path and allowed it to completely swallow me alive, I've gone through so many iterations of my own being of my own self that it just feels almost like a distant memory that I was ever someone else. And who I am in any given moment seems to be this ephemeral, um, transient version that is about to get updated in any second. So, you know, in the, in the work that we've done, we've talked a lot about how who we are as adults, especially in relationships and especially as we relate to intimacy and sexuality is a huge product of our environment during our childhood, how we were raised, what the dynamics that we were born into. And so, you know, I grew up in, in a, in a, in a city in, in India on the other side of the world. And it was me, my mom and my dad, and it was us in a 10 by 10 room for many, many, many years. And we used to move like every six months, every year. So, you know, if you think about the things that we like in relationships, um, like, you know, clear, strong, healthy boundaries, having a safe, stable um, space, um, having a level of emotional, psychological, mental safety, relational safety, safety in terms of um, being able to rely on connection. My parents were, they both worked like two, three jobs each. They were, you know, trying to make enough money to feed me, to take care of me. They were stressed like crazy. There was a lot of conflict. Um, and, you know, this contributed to a really interesting set of dynamics where uh, there was really no personal space. So there were no boundaries. Um, there was, as I mentioned, a lot of conflict and there was really no emotional regulation. So uh, my dad would typically be the angrier one, um, a lot of screaming, shouting, hitting. Uh, and my mom would also have very intense emotional uh, outbursts uh, often directed at me. And, you know, I would come home from school and I'd be alone basically. So I had to learn to self-soothe. Um, and so all of these basically contributed to the perfect storm in terms of relationships. I had a hard time really um, having a sense of trust in relationships because I couldn't trust my connection with my, with my parents as a kid. Um, it was very volatile and I was always on edge. So I was, my, my attachment style was very anxious. It was avoidant in many ways. It was very insecure. 
Um, I remember the first person I dated, I experienced infidelity and that basically just laid the foundation for this abandonment wound and these trust issues. And, you know, since then, I basically, I think, created this wall up where I would never really go all in. So I had a lot of trouble committing in relationships. I didn't really have the emotional intelligence to, you know, really understand my feelings, really understand um, how to communicate my emotions, how to hold space for my feelings. And so, you know, I would have outbursts, whether it was anger. Um, and because of my, you know, this, this fear of being abandoned, and there was a sense of being helpless or powerless. And so I would compensate for that by, by trying to control the situation, by trying to control the relationships, the dynamics, or by creating, you know, distance. And, you know, a little bit of emotional separation because that way I wouldn't be hurt as badly. And so, you know, the cocktail that this really combines into is, a, you know, very, very, very intense. And my relationships felt very intense as a result. I had this, um, you know, I had this fear that if I wasn't needed, then I wouldn't be wanted. And this programming really came from my dad because he had basically created this identity for himself, which I think his mom created for him, um, that he had to save everyone. He had to, you know, support everyone in the relationship, in his family. He had like four sisters and he basically, you know, paid for, um, for their, I guess, living, their kids' education, um, you know, over the years, like he basically took it upon himself to take responsibility for their, their well-being in every way. And a lot of that was programmed into me as well. And so there was a part of me that was only comfortable being the one who would, you know, be taking care of my partners. And as a result, I would pick partners who needed to be taken care of who weren't really self-sufficient. Um, and so we're going to get into this a lot, but, you know, when we attract partners, we, it's almost like a lock and key. So we attract the, the lock that opens that our key opens or vice versa. And so you can imagine the other side of this was that the women that I attracted were ones who mirrored back these qualities. And most of my relationships would basically follow the same patterns. So those were some of my dynamics. Like, what would you say you experienced? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. There's, I, I wanted to like stop you so many times to ask more questions because it's, it's rare, although it's becoming more common these days as people are really doing deep introspective work to talk so openly and to be so aware of oh shit, this is the the baggage I was bringing with me. And by the way, it's not mine. I got it passed down to me from my parents or caregivers and and on and on. And that's yeah, where they got theirs it's not, from. It's not mine, but it's my responsibility. That, that just came yes. in for me. And, you know, I think this is the, this is like one of those paradoxes. This is one of those uh, places where you and I have done a lot of work in cultivating that discernment because it's not mm -hmm. mine 
opens up the space for compassion, right? That it didn't yes. start with me. This was what I was raised in and that's what I absorbed and then started to broadcast. And it's actually my responsibility because my life is my fucking responsibility. No one else is coming mm-hmm. to save me. No one's going to come and, you know, mother me. No one's going to come and uh, father me or rescue me. You know, I, if I stay in that victim mentality, if I, if I keep making it someone else's fault, which I have done a lot of, like, um, until, you know, a, a previous relationship where I was actually dating a therapist and she was the first one to reflect back some of these patterns, you know, the codependence, the, the addiction, the, you know, all of those things. And I, I started to learn, like I read a book, dude, and this book was written for women and reading, I think the first five pages, I thought this woman wrote it for me and the book is, you know, four years old. So it blew my mind that that was such a seminal moment for me because I realized that I wasn't so special. You know, I realized that my problems weren't so special, so unique. I wasn't, you know, this was a thing and people had experienced this and people had studied this and to, to really learn about, you know, how the unique combination of fucked up ingredients that combined to form me, it was liberating. And so I think it's this balance of, it's not, it's not mine, right? Which allows us a space to have compassion, to disidentify from these dynamics, from the trauma, from whatever it is that's creating dysfunction. And it allows a space for us to take responsibility, to step up, right. to take, you know, be like, hey, I, this is my life. I'm, it's, I, have, I get one life and I'm going to make it the best life that I can. I'm going to be the best yeah. version of myself that I can because the quality of the relationships that I'm in, they determine the quality of my life. And mm-hmm. if I want to change the relationships, I can keep pointing the finger at the other person. But then why do I keep ending up in the exact same dynamics, the exact same patterns, which is different people? What's, what's, what do these situations have in common? Oh, maybe it's me. Okay. So if anybody's having what I call a butthole clenching moment right now, which is like, that moment when you're like butthole tightens and you're like, oh fuck, oh man, someone's dropping truth. And now I'm like questioning my existence or how I've been showing up. Yeah. These, these conversations are going to do that. And that's, that is the purpose of them because I lived most of my life, like you were saying, babe, in this place of victimhood. And I didn't know that I was living in victimhood. I thought, well, you know, it must be this person or it must be this thing. And there was always a reason why things were happening, quote unquote, to me. And so I want to talk about the very textbook mommy and daddy issues that I had that I displayed and embodied before our relationship. But also I want to be clear that I brought into the relationship. So for those who are listening, um, and if you've ever had the thought that, you know what, I just need to do my inner work. And once I do my inner work, then I'll find the partner. Like then it'll be good. Okay. Yes, girl, Dude, do your inner work and know that you're going to do the inner work and you're going to attract the person that's going to be a great fit to help you continue on the journey. Because I brought a ton of mommy and daddy issues into this relationship. And we'll talk about, you know, our personal ethos behind relationships. But this these relationships, when you are trying to create something where you're growing and expanding with someone, that is going to be the perfect lab to do some of this inner work 
So can I can I drop a, a quick soundbite? Oh please. You cannot do relational work outside. Outside a relational space. Yes. You 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 have like we, you know I, I know you're gonna get into your you know some of the baggage you brought, but you know I before we met Lee, I you know I I taken years off of dating. I was not you know. I didn't want to depend on sexual relationships to fulfill me, to fill me up, um, to distract me from the void that I felt within myself. And to be honest, for some reason, I thought that I was like, uh, okay, I'm good. And you know what I need is I now I need, I'm ready. I'm only going to open the door for the the finished product. The woman who's who's done her work, she's gone on her journey she's sorted through her shit and she's like she's good right and that i genuinely thought that that's like that that's the that's the best way for me to have what i want yeah and as we know like that's not how it works because this relationship has illuminated for both of us all of our deepest wounding all of our mm-hmm. deepest trauma all of our deepest tendencies and Yes, it was a lot less than what was there before because you and I have been working at this tirelessly, but we haven't seen this for the most part. At times we like almost killed ourselves in each other, but for the most part like we've seen this as an opportunity. We've seen this relationship as a space where the baggage can actually be looked at mm-hmm. and sorted through, right? And then like gently set aside because that's the only way we can get to the kind of relationship that we want to have yeah right so let's jump back in like you were i think you were about to share some some juicy details about your uh, your dirty laundry <laughs> oh yeah all of my mommy and daddy issues yeah. by the way did not think i had mommy and daddy issues before this relationship i'm telling you those for those of you who are listening i was like i'm good I'm over here doing plant medicine ceremonies and working with shamans and coaches. Like I'm, I'm good to go. Well, find out once I'm in a relationship, all, like Ani said, all of the things that could only the, the, the wounding that could only be illuminated in a relational context got illuminated. There were, there was no way that some of this stuff could have been seen by me while I was single and had no, nothing pressing my boundaries. So let me share a little bit about my story. Um, in my household growing up, there were a lot of different dynamics. I grew up with a Chinese mother who is still alive and still Chinese, if you could believe it. And she was extremely, extremely tightly held when it came to education and performance, which is something we see very often in the Chinese culture. There is a lot about being the best, performing, being number one, and anything not number one is not good enough. And these were the beliefs that were given to her. And this is exactly what she brought into how she raised me. Now, my father came from an American Italian background. And for him, any effort on my part was good enough. And as, as, as long as I tried, that was good. And so I had these two juxtaposing forces in my childhood And in the early parts of my childhood, both of my parents traveled for work. So my mom was an international flight attendant. My dad was a truck driver. So lo and behold, I was often passed around to family members. 
So I would, I lived in New York and New Jersey for a number of years, and I would be passed around to different family members. And I'll say that I was always very deeply loved by these family members. Everyone took great care of me. And if we're going to do a little developmental psychology analysis here, I didn't have my parents. So the ones that I longed for and needed most, particularly my mother, was often absent. And when she was around, was typically extremely harsh, critical, and used things like um, withdrawing love, punishment, uh, taking things away from me, privileges, food, in order to get me to perform a certain way. So while this kept me in a straight and narrow line as a child, because I was very well behaved for most of my life, the messaging that that left me with was that if I don't do something to earn love, I'm not worthy of love. If I don't perform, if I don't get good grades, if I don't look a certain way, if I'm not presentable, if I'm not well-spoken, then I'm going to lose her love. I will lose other people's love. So I better find a way to get the love that I need by performing and, and being a good little girl. So I had this complex for most of my life. And I, you know, I'm sure there are still remnants of that in my psyche um, that I needed to earn love. And while all this was happening, my dad was also very absent because he was a truck driver. So as a child, I got the idea that there's nothing I do. There's nothing I could do to keep dad around. And as a little girl, our father is our first beloved. Our father's our first love for those fathers, especially the ones that are present in our household. I couldn't, in my mind, I couldn't do anything to keep him around. He'd always leave. Now, as an adult, I understand why, but as a child, I couldn't keep the love of, of the first man in my life. So what that looked like as a teenager and as a young adult was doing whatever it took to keep the man around. And I recognized very early on that I could use sex for that. I could use my sexuality and I could use my looks and I could use my wiles and my intelligence to hook the guy and to keep him around. So I had this whole mix of all of these crossed wires about what it meant to give love, what it meant to receive love, what it meant to be in relationship with someone, what it meant to relate to someone sexually and intimately. And all of these wires were crossed. And so anything that would threaten this identity that I had of myself, whether that was getting feedback from someone or someone starting to pull away or someone breaking up with me, would ring all the alarms. And what I found would happen was I'd become defensive. I would shut down. I would go into freeze. I would reject them. I would reject myself. So this sounds like a whole just mess of stuff. And I, I invite you to listen because you may have had some similar childhood dynamics in your household where there was a parent that withdrew, a parent that punished, a parent that was angry, a parent that was a bystander, a parent that wasn't nurturing all the time, perhaps a parent that was abusive. And this could be an interesting moment to pause and look back at childhood and say, I wonder if any of the dynamics from childhood that I received or any of the dynamics between my primary caretakers is what I am seeing myself create in my relationships now. Because what I ended up doing was literally recreating my parents' relational dynamic with Ani. Yes, it seems like a crazy thing to do, but I was doing it 
unconsciously and it was coming from the subconscious so that I could heal these dynamics. So a, a part of the larger relational context here that we'll talk about perhaps in this episode, but in other episodes is one of the reasons we bring some of these repeated, you know, seemingly unhealthy dynamics, these toxic dynamics, the dynamics that our parents had is because our system very intelligently is trying to work them out. So we recreate them until we can create resolution. And they're also familiar. Yes. Thank you. They're familiar. So, So let me just jump in and say a few things, guys, if you find patterns in your relationships, like different guy, same dynamics or different woman, same dynamics or different, you know, same sex partner, same dynamics. It Gender doesn't really matter. Sexual orientation doesn't really matter. What happens is that we are wired to seek out the same dynamics that we grew up in because that feels familiar. And that's what's going to appear as explosive chemistry. The explosive chemistry that you feel when you meet someone for the first time, that's not, that's typically a trauma bond in the making because your trauma fits their trauma. And suddenly there's this attractive explosive connection and it feels like, Oh, I'm, you know, really head over heels in love with this person. Um, you feel a lot of lust. There's a lot of sexual passion, but that's not the grounded secure attachment. That's going to create the intentional conscious relationship of your dreams, right? Those, um, those connections typically are your mind basically reenacting your childhood as a way to recreate what's familiar, A, be complete, incomplete nervous system response cycles in the attachment systems between you and this other person that are a perfect mirror for the attachment systems that existed between you and your, your caregivers, or sometimes even between them. Now, the caveat is you can find yourself in relationship with someone like this. And if both of you are coming to the relationship intentionally and with the understanding of some of these dynamics, then you can have the relationship be a space to work through some of these things. So you're not doomed if you have explosive chemistry with someone. And if you're starting to see some familiar stuff come up, it's time for an honest conversation. So that's the background on both of our relationships. And I want to make it clear that we weren't these like woke people coming into this relationship. And I I don't know that I would uh, describe us as woke now. We're, We're two people who are waking up each day with an openness. And and here's a belief or a, a way of being that I'd invite you to try on because it's easy to look at other couples and think, wow, they have it all. Wow. They figured it out. Oh, let's put them on a pedestal. If you can wake up each day and be the kind of woman or the kind of man that says, you know what? I'm waking up in this day open to seeing what's here for me, to seeing all of the amazing qualities about myself and to seeing ways that I can shift because I've been creating this habit over and over again, or I'm, I'm sitting in victimhood again, then that is a beautiful foundation on which to build a relationship that is going to transcend space and time. That's going to transcend some of the, the wounding that you've been given that you're working through in this lifetime. So that's, you know, I think, uh, one of the, the biggest aspects and one of the the biggest reasons why we find ourselves in some of these connections, babe, I want to talk about 
some of the the deeper reasons why we find ourselves in relationships like this, because I think it's so, I can say for myself personally, I have many times lost sight of this deeper why when we've been in it. There are moments where I'm like, fuck this, I'm out, I can't do it. You're crazy, I'm crazy, why are we doing this, right? So if you've ever heard yourself say those kinds of things because you've gotten to your limit, I wanna also present that barring actual you know, harm and abuse, there is a deeper spiritual context for why we step into these kinds of agreements and connections with each other. And one of them is to work through and resolve some of these dynamics. And so Ani had described what that was like before and had described that that was one of the reasons why we came into this. So this is something that, again, going back to that belief of, or perhaps the myth that you're going to come to the relationship as this quote unquote, perfect person who has all their shit worked out and you're expecting your partner to do the same. Is it possible Maybe, maybe somebody's done it, but what I will say is these kinds of deep relationships and the ones that I know you, yes, you, the one who's listening is wanting to create, whether that's with a future partner or a partner you're currently in relationship with right now is to be able to do this inner work together because there are certain places that only we can go together. We just won't go to those places alone. So I'd love to hear just some of your perspectives on this, babe, perhaps some reframes around, you know, what beliefs people may hold about relationships now, and what are some other possible perspectives people can try on? Yeah, you, you know, I, my views on relationships were so fucked up because I, I saw relationships, not consciously, and I can see this looking back, but, you know, at the time, relationships, romantic relationships in particular for me were an escape for myself because I was carrying a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of trauma from my childhood. Um, and it was, I didn't have the resources. I didn't have the skills. I didn't have the, the know-how on how to really process that, on what to do with that. And so I did, I did the only thing that made sense to me, again, unconsciously, which is to, you know, distract myself with someone else. And that was the only way I could escape from this deep void that I felt within myself and this, the, the well of pain that I was carrying, which I didn't know what to do with. So relationships for me, you know, were a big escape. And I thought, being with this other person is going to make me feel better and it's going to make everything okay. And as long as I wasn't, you know, facing my own pain, then I wouldn't see it. But, you know, that's not how it works because that pain is going to show up in different ways because that pain is part of who we are until we learn to hold space for it. So now the way I see relationships is that our relationships First of all, this is a, a more spiritual perspective, but this is also very practical, right? Because this is actually what happens. Our relationships are first and foremost vehicles for our personal and spiritual growth, right? They're not something that we use as a Kleenex or a tampon. It's not something that we use as 
um, a tub of ice cream. It's not something that we use as an escape. It's, it's actually a place where we experience growth. It's a vehicle for our growth. It's a container for our development, our evolution, the evolution of our consciousness, the evolution of our um, psyche, of our intelligence, of our emotional skills. And our partners are our greatest teachers and our mirrors because our partners reflect back all the places where we're wounded, where we're not yet free, where we still have a trigger where we are reactive, where we have some unresolved stuff going on. And the challenges in a relationship, right? The arguments, the conflicts, the, the patterns, they're actually an opportunity to transcend the past programming that's running in our system, you know, and causing all sorts of dysfunctions and, and challenges and transcend them and actually step into our best self, step into our highest self. And again, that's not a, you know, silly, uh, trite Instagram spiritual term, but our best self, if we think about who our best self is, is actually closest to no self because we're so obsessed with ourselves for the most part. There's so much self-absorption because deep down, we're so, um, our focus has turned so much towards ourselves and our own problems and our own needs and our own blah, blah, blah. Because inside, there's a lot of wounding. There's a lot of pain. And that pain and that wounding wants to be seen. Mm-hmm. Seen not just by us, but by a compassionate witness who is able to hold a space of unconditional presence and love. Right? And that's why self-absorption, that's why narcissism exists, right? We're, we're looking for that attention, right? And we will keep ourselves occupied with our own silly little problems. And I don't mean to belittle anyone's problems, but there's a whole fucking world out there. And there's people who are, I guarantee, doing a lot worse than you are, suffering a lot more than you are. And you know, it's, it's just a matter of perspective. So when we are able to see relationships from this perspective, we can actually tend to our wounds, tend to our pain, tend to our hurt, and tend to our partner's hurt and pain. It allows us to relax this obsessive self-absorption that we live in for the most part. And when we're able to resolve that, and we don't need to obsess about ourselves and our problems and our history and our this and our that, then that's where freedom actually begins. Because then we can actually choose what we want to focus on, who we want to be, how we want to show up, and what we want to create, what kind of impact we want to make on the world. And that really is what I mean by best self, right? Our best Mm -hmm. self is not the one that is, you know, the Woody Allen neuroticism about like every little thing, that's not our best self. That self doesn't create magic in the world. That self doesn't go out and uplift humanity. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's the game that I want to play. And that's why I I show up to you and this relationship from this place of, you know, what's there for me to see? What's there for me to learn? And even in this, this morning when we had that little beautiful exchange, um, I, I, I try to be humbled when I, when I, when I interact with you, because every moment is an opportunity. 
Every moment is an opportunity mm-hmm. to feel the way I want to feel, to see myself deeper, to become more aware of myself, to, you know, gain more this wider, more expansive perspective and to fall more deeply in love with myself and you and the world. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I think this is the perfect opportunity to invite everyone who's listening into some home play and home play is just like homework, but you're not working, you're playing. So it just feels so much better, but take this on. If you'd like, who is this version of you? So using Ani's definition, borrowing on this definition of best self, like who is that version of you? How do you show up? How do you feel? Firstly, how do you feel when you are showing up as the most authentic version of you, as the one who feels safe within themselves, as the one who is expressed? Take some time, if this feels good for you to take on, to really reflect on who that person is and see that person as who you are. This is not someone outside of you. This is someone that is accessible within you at all times. It is just a matter of looking inward and being willing to see those aspects of us. And I want to create a distinction based on what Ani shared, because there are a lot of nuances here as we're talking about some of these details. So Ani's talking about this concept of self-absorption, but also what what I want to point us to is finding this very nuanced place within where we validate all of our concerns and worries and fears and the things that we consider problems. And this is exactly what Ani was pointing to. And we also recognize that there's an entire life out there. There there are so many other people with their concerns and their challenges. So how do we simultaneously hold so much loving, accepting, unconditional space for ourselves such that we feel safe enough to not be concerned with ourselves anymore because we have held space for ourselves that we can go out into the world and serve to the level and to the degree that we're meant to, or so that we can go out and self-actualize or so that we can go out and go be on a vacation with our family or our loved ones, or so that we can go out and volunteer or whatever it is we're meant to do so that we can go out and get the cup of coffee and actually enjoy the day, right? It doesn't have to be a profound thing. But a big part of this transformation, especially for high-achieving women who are out there doing it and thinking they need to do it themselves, but also feeling so deeply constricted or stressed out or like there's not enough time or like all the good men are gone or whatever the thought is, can we take the lens and turn it back inward and meet ourselves with such deep levels of care and nourishment. And I know sometimes it can feel challenging to do that, but the question I ask myself is, if if my mom were here right now and I was going through this hardship, how would I want her to show up for me? Not how would she show up for me if she were who she is. How would I want her to show up for me? Or how would I want a best friend to show up for me right now? And can I see what that's like? And then can I borrow that? And can I show up for myself in that way? Because that is what's going to create this deep sense of emotional, psychological, physical, spiritual, mental safety within so that we can actually be open enough to attract the people and the opportunities and the things into our lives that feel aligned, 
that feel like, oh yeah, of course, this is me being my best self, living my best life. And that's how this goes. So, well, that's the, that's the whole concept of, you know, energetic matching, right? Because we attract what we are, we get what we put out. And before we, you know, create a partner who is going to treat us in this way of unconditional love, unconditional tenderness and patience and compassion and empathy, we have to first learn to give it to ourselves. If we, if we can't give it to ourselves, then it's foolish to expect that someone else is going to give us what we are unwilling to give our, give to ourselves. And that's, I, I think you're going to share the story in a, in one of the upcoming episodes, but that's how we create you know, these partnerships, that's how you created me essentially Mm -hmm. long before I even existed for you. And that's what we're going to talk about is what are some of our biggest lessons learned from this relationship? And I'll, I'll start because I was doing all the things to try and manifest my partner, right? I was journaling and I was visualizing and I was writing all the qualities about him and who he is and what he looks like and how tall he is. And I was getting specific. I was following all the advice. I was trying all these things. And I remember journaling one day and, you know, writing down qualities about how he's going to show up for me with unconditional love. And even when I'm crying, he's going to not waver. He's going to look at me and tell me I'm beautiful and he's going to do this. And he's going to, you know, see me in all of my emotions and not, not cower. And I was stopped in my tracks and I was like, oh, but am I willing to show up for myself in that way? And that was the thought that changed everything because after that point, I made my practice and I made it my mission to show up for myself as the partner that I wanted from someone else. So I started doing the inner exploration and the inner work to show up for myself in that way. And I kid you not, I think I met you a few weeks later. And even though it wasn't immediately romantic, I I made it my mission to look at myself in the mirror when I was crying and say, you're beautiful. Like, I got you. You're good. And so going into those uncomfortable places was a part of the the mission that I took on. But that, that is one of my biggest lessons learned from this relationship is, you know, often when we find ourselves in relationships, we sometimes and oftentimes unknowingly put stuff onto the other person. We make things their responsibility because now they're here, they should do this. And I recognize that even in relationship, we're still individuals. We are still too, hopefully we perceive ourselves to be two whole and complete people coming to a relationship to create this third entity that is the relationship that holds all of this power and energy because we are both coming together as whole and complete people. And so I've learned that even in relationship, I'm always still doing my inner exploration. I'm still finding parts of myself. I'm myself. I'm still exploring. I'm still questioning. I'm still always loving on myself. And it's still so vitally important for me to continue doing my inner exploration while in this relationship, because that is how we continue to, to feed the baby that is the relationship. And I hope you're never done. I will never be done. Right. Because I don't want to be done. I don't want to be, I don't want ever to be done growing. I don't want to ever be done learning. I don't ever want to reach the end of self-awareness or self-realization and, you know, think to myself, okay, it's, you know, I've, I've arrived. 
I don't ever want to arrive. I, I, I want to be on this journey with you. Like, you know, as long as it feels good. Um, yeah. You know, for me, I, before this relationship, I didn't really know what commitment was. And I could jokingly call myself a commitment foe, but deep down I was really fucking shit scared. I was so fucking scared of being with someone going all in and then being cheated on being, having them, you know, walk away, having whatever. And it kept me in a state where I guarded my heart. You know, I, I, I lived in the state of constriction where it just, you know, it wasn't as open hearted as, as I can show up as now. And this relationship has really called me to the highest version of myself because, you know, the, the single greatest gift you've given me is by requiring me to step up into my, you know, into my deeper masculine and deeper feminine and my deeper greatness really to be able to hold all of you. And to be able to hold all of you, I first had to learn how to hold all of me. Wow. And hold space for all parts of myself, my anger, my shame, my guilt, my, my rage, my sadness, my pain, all of it. And, you know, opening my heart to myself and to you, even when it hurts, even when I'm afraid, even when, you know, my experience in my childhood basically, you know, made me expect pain, more pain and more pain on the other side of opening my heart when I'm hurt. And that is probably the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah. And I'm not, I don't get it perfect, but you know, it, I, this relationship has been so priceless in, in that way and who it's allowed me to become to be an energetic match for what I want to experience in this relationship with you. Yeah. Oh, baby. Thank you for sharing that. Mm. I have equally learned lessons in that regard. You have called me forth to, oh my gosh, such a high standard. And there were moments that I fought you tooth and nail on it because I myself was shit scared. And this is what happens often when we, when we become defensive, when I would become defensive, I was just fighting for my limitations because it, it felt safer to be in a place that felt familiar. Yeah. It felt safer to shut down and to turn away than to open my heart again at the risk of it being hurt or, you know, at the risk of feeling rejected. So often, you know, I would shut down and, and completely withdraw and granted, yes, there were things happening physiologically in my body, but there was also a, a many choice points that I had and something I've learned in this relationship. And I think this is for all people on the path to learn is how do we create such deep safety and grounding within ourselves that we know that it is safe to open our hearts. It is safe to, to open our hearts and to love and to let love in. And that's something that I, I often see in women because I, I saw myself go through this is that 
I wanted the great love. I wanted the man who was going to show up for me and sweep me off my feet and, you know, be perfect in, in my estimation of perfect. But at, at the point that I was, even just a few years ago, I hadn't done the energetic work to be a match for that kind of partner. And I often see people walking around saying, that's what I want, but they haven't gone through some of the the inner journey of what it's like to open your heart over and over and over again and risk the rejection and risk the shutdown or risk the withdrawal and the lashback. And sure, there are certain situations in which you do need to remove yourself, but largely when we're both showing up as intentionally as possible, that stuff's going to happen. And what kind of foundation are we building for ourselves to say, you know what, I'm going to go in again. I'm going to go back into the ring, back into the arena, and I'm going to open my heart and I'm going to lead with love. You have taught me so much about what it is like to lead with my heart instead of my head, Mm. to drop the defenses, to let the wall down. And a part of what this relationship has done for me is it has shown me that not only is it safe to soften, but when I soften, I feel the best because before coming into the relationship, I'm like, oh, hell no, there's no way. Softening is weakness. If I soften, I will be taken advantage of one of my deepest fundamental fears. If I soften, then I'm not going to get my needs met, et cetera, et cetera. And what I've learned because of the relationship that we've created together is that when I soften, it softens you. And I do it selflessly, but it's also selfish because I want to interact with a soft, gentle, loving person. And I want to feel that way. Mm. And sometimes, sometimes you lead the charge in that and you soften first and I follow suit. And sometimes I lead the charge and I soften first and you follow suit. And we've cultivated this beautiful, um, sometimes we both lead, but sometimes it's follow the leader. And it's only in the moments when we both kind of miss the mark that there is conflict. And and those moments have dramatically decreased over time. Right. And I think, you know, this really speaks to how in society these days, women have had to harden and step into their masculine because, you know, they're in more traditionally masculine environments where they have to compete, where they have to perform, where they're judged by masculine standards. And, you know, it's created a deep distrust of their inner feminine. And it hasn't really been safe for especially the women who were ambitious, who want to, you know, make an impact in the world, who want to build wealth, who who are powerful women you know, it's it's not really been acceptable or safe for them to really live, inhabit their feminine, their feminine essence. And, you know, that creates, it's such a shame because they lose a, such a precious part of themselves. And this work really is about having access to all parts of yourself. It's when, We're not saying that someone needs to live in their masculine or in their feminine. What we're saying is that you want to be able to very smoothly just DJ between those aspects of yourself. 
And you can only do that when you have full access to yourself, to all parts of yourself. And to be able to do that, and by the way, ladies, this goes for men too, right? Men need access to their masculine and their feminine. And when men are overdeveloped in their masculine and underdeveloped in their feminine, they're not coming in with presence. They're not coming in with open-heartedness. They're not coming in able to hold space for whatever arises, right? They don't have time for that shit. (laughs) And they lose They lose every moment of every day because they are only experiencing one fragment of themselves. But the thing that I want you guys to really, really, really understand and really um, align to is that our safety is our responsibility. It's my job. My safety is my job. It's not her job. It's not anyone else's job. It's certainly not the world's job. Now, I'm not saying that you know, we don't have a responsibility for towards other human beings to act in a way that allows them to feel safe, of course. But we have to take responsibility first and foremost to create safety for ourselves, to create safety in our masculine, to create safety in our feminine, to create safety in the inner union, the harmony of both. And when we feel this rock solid sense of safety within ourselves. And that comes from being able to hold all parts of ourselves, being able to be with even the most challenging pieces of ourselves, being able to hold space for the pain, the hurt, the anger, the rage, then something magical happens, right? We, we experience a sense of inner power. We experience a level of comfort in being open-hearted We experience uh, an ease in being vulnerable, in being authentic, in, in truly being ourselves. And that's what allows us to give the gift of who we are to ourselves, to our partners, to the world. And that's what allows us to really be our best self, to create the impact that we're here to make, to live the life we're here to live, to feel fucking fantastic. My, what I want for you, my deepest desire for you is that your entire life feels like one giant orgasm. <laughs> your, like your entire life is filled with so much pleasure because that's really what we're here for. Yeah. Right. But we're the ones who, who block it, who withhold it from ourselves. Mm. And it's time to unlearn all that conditioning, all that programming that keeps this away from us, that keeps this separated from us. That may come in the form of a partner. That may come in the form of, you know, just chilling and doing nothing and letting yourself be, which you teach me a lot about, Lee. Mm. And, you know, it may come in whatever form. It may come in the form of massage that you give yourself. But at the core, that's what we really want. That's what really allows us to come alive. Mm. So beautifully said, babe. Thank you. All right. So that was so much juice for you listening today. Um, We have more coming to you next week. We're also going to be talking about what conscious partnership is. We'll be diving deeper into masculine and feminine energy over the weeks to come. Um, What does it mean to really create a power couple partnership, one that is based on conscientiousness, intentionality, what it's not? I'm so, so grateful to be here with you, Ani, in sharing this and sharing our story and in sharing these concepts. And in the meantime, I am wishing all of you so much love and good vibes.
Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you made it this far, it probably means that you enjoyed listening, learned a lot, and are one step closer to deeper intimacy. To help couples like you discover the show and transform their lives, please consider leaving a five-star review and hitting subscribe. You can also find us on Instagram at untamed underscore intimacy. We'd love to hear from you there. If you want to be the first to gain access to exclusive content, practices, and tools to create untamed intimacy in your life, join our mailing list by clicking the link in the show notes. You'll receive powerfully curated content that's no bullshit and pure love. And if you want to learn more about creating untamed intimacy in your life, then visit us at untamedintimacy.com. We see you and we appreciate you. Until next time, much love and good vibes.